Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to give you some information uh, about the full armor of God. I've actually been putting uh, together a lot of things that we're going to talk about. I, I probably added four or five uh, web pages to our Preparing You website today, and uh, including a number of videos talking about what people think is the problem today and and that will vary between people i mean we have all these we have a generation x and we have a generation y which is the millennials uh and then we have the generation uh, z now coming up and of course the kingdom of god is from generation to generation so it would behoove us to do a whole show on that and we probably will uh the uh the, these new generations coming up all have different characteristics, and we'll talk about those at another time. But uh, uh, the one thing that I notice when they're naming these generations X, Y, and Z is they're running out of alphabet. And uh, they're, so I don't know what the, the next generation is going to be, the AA generation, I guess. So we're going to start over again. <laughs> so, but the, the thing is, is that things are changing whether you like them or not. And unless you look at the whole picture, you're not going to understand why and how things are changing. What What is the things that are moving in society that is altering the viewpoints of our youth? Because our youth is the next generation. Now, you know, a hundred years ago, when your social security depended upon your children and the love of your community for you, uh, we had a certain incentive built into the natural scheme of things to be well-liked in our community, to do good in our community, to serve our community. It wasn't necessarily the in- entire motivation of an individual who went out there and helped in his community, thinking, well, boy, uh, now my community will be there for me if I'm an old man and I need help. But the the reality of the structure of a society that was a volunteer society, which is what America was, especially on the frontier, was that that volunteer society had to care about one another. If if your neighbor was having trouble, you had to go and help your neighbor. If you had any hope ever of your neighbor coming to help you, no guarantee, just the hope. The faith that if I do right, right will come back to me. If I cast righteous bread upon the waters, righteous bread will come back to me after many days. This is a principle that we see repeated over and over again in the Bible. A lot of people say, oh, the Bible, that's just a bunch of old stories. The Bible is full of wisdom and uh, advice and, uh, and strategies to become the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. That's what the Bible, when it was translated into English with Wycliffe, he said, is that this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Now, a lot of people take that Bible and they, they create doctrines, private interpretations of what they think this means or that means, and that, and they try to create rituals around this and, uh, and prayers around this that you repeat endlessly. Concerning the Bible and what it's trying to tell you. But they miss some of the very basic instructions in the Bible. But there's so much in there 
so many parables, so many stories, so many, uh, so many different translations and impressions as to, you know, at the time of Jesus Christ, they had a translated version of the Bible, which was the Old Testament, because that's all there was at that time and for a Bible, for a book of sacred writings was the Old Testament. Now, there were other books than what we see in the Old Testament today, but there was at least the Old Testament floating around, and there had been a translation of that by uh, 70 government-paid scholars, and they call it the Septuagint. And uh, they, uh, they give you a certain impression of what the ancient text said by the way in which they translated that into Greek. And and people, but most people don't realize that even the Jewish language had to be translated for the Jews when they came out of Babylonian captivity. They didn't. They didn't all speak the same language. They had to relearn their ancient ways, and so people were retranslating it so that they could understand, and they were relearning Hebrew so that they could understand what that was all about. And, and in 700 A.D., we had. Uh, the Masoretic text coming out and being translated so that we would have this understanding of these ancient texts, Old and New Testaments. And uh, much is lost in translation. But that's not what we're supposed to be following, is the translation. Or the, even the original text. We are supposed to be having God right upon our hearts and upon our minds. And of course, everybody thinks God's writing on their heart. But they don't all agree about what's being written. So either God's writing different things on different people's heart. Or we're misinterpreting what God is writing on our hearts. You know, people are always telling me the Spirit moved them. Just just the other day, I was talking to my grandkids. They were... We were taking care of them, and, and one of my young grandsons was putting in his favorite movie. They get to watch a movie occasionally over here, and we have a few DVDs. And he he uh, he wanted to watch his favorite movie, The Longest Day, you know, with John Wayne and uh, was it Peter Lawford. And, I mean, it's just uh, uh, all kinds of different stars in it, you know. And it's a story of D-Day, you know, June 6th. 1942. Uh, you know, I was just flashing when I was saying that. Uh, the, it, on a college campus just recently, I saw a video where they were going around interviewing college students. Students who have made it into a college. <laughs> graduated from high school. And asking them who won the Civil War. They didn't even know who fought the Civil War. <laughs> They didn't know who won it. They didn't know why it was fought. They don't know when it was fought. And these are college students. Not not college students from Taiwan who come to America, but Americans who graduated from high school with high enough grades to enter into college. And they didn't know. And they didn't know who we were getting our independence from. What When the Declaration of Independence, what, what century... It was even written. They knew who Jennifer Aniston was married to and and, uh, all these other questions, some of which I did not know. (laughs) But but I certainly know who we were supposedly getting our independence from in the American Revolution. 
the sad, sad, sad part of this is that many of you out there think you understand why there was an American Revolution. And I was just talking to somebody the other day, who, old-timer, who knew who we got our independence from in the American Revolution. And believed he knew why it was fought. You know, and I mentioned Patrick Henry's speech, Give me liberty, give me death. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. He gave that speech at least twice. Once in the Virgin... Because they had no YouTube. <laughs> so, he, he, if he wanted to hear it again, he had to give it again. So, anyway, he uh, he gave that because he rode into Culpeper, Virginia on, a, on the bareback on a horse and found a man scourged in the public square till the ribs on his rib cage were actually visible through his skin. That's how bad they scourged him. He'd been held in a pit for days and days and he would not repent of his terrible terrible crime and so they scourged him and uh, his crime he refused to get a license to preach and now if we were to translate that into modern language he refused to get his church 501c3 status from the IRS because he, in order to get the license you had to pay a tax he says, you can't tax the church to do what we have a fundamental right to do. So this conflict between people and fundamental rights and people who think they're government, think they have the right to govern over you, has been around for a long time. And the truth is, many of these people who are calling themselves government, the vast bureaucracy that is ruling over the people, does have rights to rule over many of you, most of you. And you can't just undo that. Because a lot of those, you know, we talk about in the Declaration of Independence, when it becomes necessary to dissolve the bands which have connected us with another. Well, say like a, if if someone borrows a $1,000 from their neighbor, and their neighbor comes over every month and says, I want $100 back, because that's the agreement. $100 every month, you're going to pay me back. And you're going to pay me back $110. Uh, $1,100, you know, 10%. <clears throat> if you get it paid off this year, you got to the end of the year to pay it off. That's the, Just say that's the agreement. And so every month he comes over and wants another $100 or $110. And then finally you say, well, I, I'm going to dissolve the bands which have connected me to you and you can't come over here anymore and ask me for that money. Well, you can't dissolve that band unless you pay back the $1,000. You can dissolve that band anytime you want, but you've got to pay back the $1,000 plus interest, if that was the agreement. You say, well, interest is against the law. No, interest, usury is against the law. <laughs> but uh, you have a right to contract, guarantee you, guaranteed to you by the Constitution of the United States. Everybody is talking about this article or that article. The United States government can't own property, etc., etc., in the states and all these kinds of things. But what about Article 1, Section 10? Guarantee your right to contract. You see, you've contracted 
with the government and with its agencies. Now, you, a lot of people say, I don't want to make those contracts anymore. I'm going to dissolve the ban, so I'm just going to dishonor those contracts. But you're going to pay back everything you had. You know, one of the first things I talk about, one of the first things I wrote about way back, I think it was in the Covenants of the Gods, was the one-child contract in China. Now, China, totalitarian ruling government, can just about do anything it wants. But then it goes to the people and it says, if you sign this one-child contract, we will give you special treatment, special benefits, extra food allotments, extra money allotments, uh, better better jobs, better housing, because we're a socialist nation. That's We dole out what you get. We're not capitalists here. We're a socialist. So what you get is what we say you get. And we will say that you get more if you sign this one-child contract, agreeing that you will not have any more children. And a lot of people signed it. And then they got pregnant again. And then they were required to have an abortion. And they didn't want to have the abortion. They wanted to dissolve the bans which had connected them with China, the government, that now wanted to abort the child. Well, first thing they have to do is pay back all that special benefits that they got. You see, back in the American Revolution, we didn't get a lot of benefits. As a matter of fact, we weren't getting a lot of benefits. I mean, there could be some debate over it, but, you know, we were defending ourselves against both French and Indians attacks. We were not getting a lot of help from Great Britain. As a matter of fact, they were pretty much over here giving us a hard time. And uh, so you've got this problem. And, and this this compounds itself in this whole um, uh, milieu refuge thing and, and Clive Bundy and all that kind of stuff. Because while they're saying we don't want to pay the grazing fees on land that we have a purchased right to. Because, see, they they own their grazing rights. They bought them way back in the 1800s. They they weren't really lease they were paying a lease for the improvements that the BLM were making, which they stopped making. And so they say, Well, we're we're not gonna pay the lease if you aren't gonna make improvements and are gonna restrict us and are gonna be abusive. And you don't even have a right to own land here because you're the federal government. Well, all that would be true, and they would have a valid argument. And I actually sympathize with them. There's no way I can sympathize with an agency. I mean, I don't want any harm to come to the people in that agency, but an agency is just a golem. It's just a corporate thing. It has no soul. But the people in those agencies have souls. This is why God so loved the agencies of the world, (laughs) the governments of the world, that he gave his only begotten son so that the souls in those agencies of the world, those constitutional orders and systems of government, because that's the word he uses when he says God so loves the world, he uses a word that means, and it was defined at that time, that meant constitutional order or system of government. That he gave his only begotten son, not that the institution would be saved, but but the souls within that institution were saved. See, we have to love everybody. If we're going to be like Christ, be like the Father. And so, anyway, back to uh, 
people like Bundy and and uh, Mr. Finnegan, who is now dead and unnecessarily dead, and probably it's somebody's fault. And he may even have to carry some of the blame himself, but not so much that he was worthy of death. He certainly doesn't appear to have been. But there's going to be more deaths. Not just one or two. There'll, there'll be thousands, millions of deaths. If we do not wake up and do what Christ said. You know, the uh, we're endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. So that we can pursue life, liberty, and the context says happiness. There was a big debate over whether the word should be happiness. There was actually, you can actually see documents where they wrote in a word and scratched it out and tried another word there. And they ended up using happiness. But they also considered fraternity. Life, liberty, and fraternity. Fraternity has to do with brotherhood and who's your father. Well, Jesus said, call no man on earth father. But they didn't use fraternity. They used happiness. But they had another word. They were property. They actually considered putting in the word. Because other people had used that life, liberty, and property. But what's property? Property is what is proper. That's what property is. Property is what is property. You plant an orchard. There's land here that nobody's using. Completely vacant land. Nobody's using it. And you plant an orchard. And you water it. And you weed it. And you prune the trees. And eventually it bears fruit. Who has the proper right to that fruit? You do. You did all the work. You did everything. I mean, God shined the light on it, but He gave the light to all of us. God brought the rain, but it rained on the just and unjust. You just made fruit with the rain that you got. The unjust just made mud. (laughs) So, you have a right to the fruit. And that's property. You have a property right to the fruit. And that makes you happy. (laughs) See, so, so you are pursuing happiness by pursuing property. But, what happens if somebody else comes in and provides you with all the water? They put in aqueducts and pipes. And they provide all the water. They have a right to some of your property. They have a right to some of your fruit. Because they provided some of the care of your trees. They didn't make the sun shine. But they brought water to you. Now, hopefully you made a good agreement with them. That you would buy the water per gallon or whatever. And then you would... Pay them for the water out of your crop and all this kind of stuff. Maybe they didn't want to do share crop thing. They just want to get paid up front. You paid them and they go away. Well, this is where it starts getting complicated. Because who helped you plant that orchard? I mean, you had to do all kinds of measuring and figuring and all this kind of stuff. How did you know how to do that figuring? You went to public school. So, what's in your head is there because somebody gave you free schooling. How do you dissolve that band which connected you to them now? They gave you free schooling. They, you are a product of them. Of their benevolence. Of their benefaction. 
You see, this is where it gets complicated. You can't say, I'm free, at the same time you're taking a bite out of your neighbor by making your neighbor pay for your education. You see, you've, you're going under another authority by contract. Because you accept the benefit, it is implied that you agree to the contract. Either that or you're a thief. So how do you dissolve these bans? There are so many of them. You know, I mean, did your mother use the WIC programs? Did you take care of your father and your mother when they uh, they were elderly? Or did you have the state do it? Because that's your responsibility to take care of your father and your mother. That's why I started this saying originally... Having your children was your social security. Taking care of your community, helping your community, helping build your community would guarantee that your community actually cared about you. (coughs) So, think about this now. How do you dissolve these bans? Because you're taking things for free that are not really given for free. They're given with strings attached. And you're not even looking for the strings. So, uh, you're making all these agreements and you're bringing other people into the product of your life. Not, you know, common law requires that if you owe something, you pay it that day. And you pay it in substance. You pay it in present value. You cannot say, well, here's a note that I owe you $50 in silver and count that as being paid. It's not paid till you pay the $50 in silver because you're just giving them a note. That's a promise to pay on another day. It's not a payment. It's not a payment. That's it. I mean, it's not, this is not, People get into, you know, they say, oh, you get into all these legal arguments and it's so confusing. This is simple. If I give you a picture of scrambled eggs and bacon, that's not the same as giving you scrambled eggs and bacon. (laughs) You You can't eat the picture and get the same nutrients as you can out of scrambled eggs and bacon. Or if you don't eat bacon, you know, we'll give you uh, a textured vegetable protein (laughs) sausage. (laughs) But the point is, is that there's a difference between giving somebody a note and giving somebody the actual payment. So for, for the last century in America, nobody's been paying for anything. They haven't been paying for anything. (laughs) So, so this creates bands and ties you to another. So, the fact is, we are, we are entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And we got lots of shows, lots of books, free for you to figure that out. Now, how do we get separate? How do we put on the armor of God so that when we do, somebody doesn't kill us? Well, that's what we got to talk about here. How do we put on that full armor of God? So, be right back. We'll talk about it.
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, I'm always told I'm not to attack the 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 delusion of somebody who is under a delusion. You know, we deal with a lot of people who, well, the fact is, if you walk out your front door, you're going to be dealing with somebody with a delusion. Because everybody's got at least one delusion. <laughs> some have a lot of delusions. And some of those delusions are really serious delusions, which cause all kinds of aberrant behavior. But what's a delusion? Something you think is true that just ain't so. You know, like uh, Mark Twain said. Uh, what you know the the problem isn't what you know for sure uh i'm not going to get it exactly right the way he said it but he actually said it a couple different ways but uh but it's what you know that is absolutely true that it just ain't so that's where the real problem comes in <laughs> and a lot of you think you know absolutely for sure that this is true or that is true or whatever and you've got all kinds of reasons why you read it in the bible well, a lot of people read things in the Bible and they think it means something different than you. And you may be deluded and they may be deluded and there's a third possibility. You may both be deluded, but I can guarantee you can't both be right. You you just can't all be right if you all have a different opinion. Somebody's wrong. So you you have, and that takes a certain amount of humility to realize I went to school, I learned all this stuff, and they were lying to me, you know. And and you have to get a mindset that is willing to question even what you already know. And this is what Patrick Henry, going back to the beginning of the show, we talked about Patrick Henry, who most of these college students didn't even know who Patrick Henry was. They knew who Jennifer Aniston was and who she had been married to and who Angelina Jolie was and who she had been married to, which I guess is the same guy, which is, I guess, Brad Pitt or somebody. <laughs> anyway, the only reason I know is because I was listening to these people. They all got that answer right, but they didn't know who fought the Civil War because they haven't been teaching history in school for years and years and years. And you've been sending your kids to these schools, allowing these schools to brainwash them and to dumb them down, I mean, scores are dropping in the schools everywhere. They've actually, if you go back and look at SAT tests, they have altered the SAT tests to make them easier, and the kids are still getting lower scores. Did you know that there are actually studies out that the brain mass of your average individual in America is shrinking? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the brain mass is shrinking. Yet the kids are coming out of college thinking that they are the most highly educated children in generations. You know? No, they're not. They paid more for education, but they and they may know a lot of stuff, but they are actually more poorly educated than ever before. I mean, it's it's staggering. It's shocking. Uh and it's pervasive. Now, I know there are kids out there who know who fought the Civil War. <laughs> you know, it's North and South, in case you're wondering. Uh, North and South America. North, well, I can't even say that because you're thinking it's, you know, the United States divided. <laughs> I can't give you a history lesson. And Southern states fought the Northern states. And the northern states fought the southern states. And supposedly the northern states won. 
and were led to believe that that freed the slaves. Which is kind of interesting because Robert E. Lee had freed all his slaves before the Civil War. <laughs> and Ulysses S. Grant did not free his slaves till after the Civil War. What most people don't know from history is only 1.4% of Americans ever even owned slaves. 1.4% of Americans even owned slaves. Yet today we're being told, even the United Nations says it, that we owe an, uh, the white people of America owe an apology to the blacks. Wait a minute. <laughs> most of the white people didn't own any slaves. They didn't buy any slaves. They didn't own any slaves. Heck, my great-grandfather was kicked out of the uh, Quaker church and had to join the Schism Quakers because he was smuggling slaves in the Underground Railroad. I don't got anything to apologize for. I never owned any slaves. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why do I? Because if you say white people owe black people an apology, you're a racist. did you know the first person to own a slave in America was a black man yeah and he was an indentured servant but he kept running away because the guy was so cruel and so he had the courts rule that the guy had to be finish out his time for the rest of his life he couldn't stop being a slave not just some court decided this I don't know who was on the jury might have been white folks but it doesn't really matter you know, there wasn't hardly a slave that we bought, that those 1.4% people bought, that came from Africa, that wasn't sold by a black man originally. So, black men owe black men an apology. Because <laughs> black men are the ones who enslaved them first. And besides that, 600,000 Americans died freeing the blacks, if you want to believe that the Civil War was fought over slavery. That 600,000 white men who didn't own slaves, who died freeing the blacks, they paid anything we owe. <laughs> as well as all the other things that we've done. And we don't owe it forever. <laughs> There's a time where a guy has to be responsible. And that's where your freedom is going to come in is that you got to start being responsible as an individual. You know, one of the one of the things the millennials were saying is that uh, modern millennials are are more inclined to do things collectively than any other generation. <laughs> I have to chuckle at that because uh somebody didn't study history <laughs> because uh voluntary collectivism is why we won the American Revolution. <laughs> voluntary collectivism, not socialism. Voluntary collective people working together. People working together uh, in past generations far exceeds anything we see in our modern millennial uh, students. Far, far away, hands and and feet over anything we see today. We just haven't been studying history. You went to school, which was a collective effort, but it wasn't a voluntary collective effort. (laughs) Communism is a collective effort, but it's not voluntary. Once you're a communist and in a communist government, everything you do, you have to do. 
Because you're compelled to do it. It's not voluntary. And if it's not voluntary, you don't live in a free society. So anyway, going back to accepting your responsibilities, not only to yourself and for yourself and for your family, but for your community and for your nation, is what is required to have a free society. Christ knew this. So he said you had to love your neighbor as yourself. Moses knew this. So he said you had to love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't mean sit in the pew and have a good thought about your neighbor. It means actually getting your hands and sleeves rolled up and your hands applied to the plow to help take care of your neighbor in a way that strengthens him. That's absolutely required in a free society. But... Many people say, well, no, I, I, I want to, I'm in pursuit of happiness. <laughs> I want to make my wife happy and I'll be happy and my kids will be happy and we'll all be happy and that's what's important. That's not what was important to Christ. Christ said you had to hate your family. Well, of course, he didn't really mean hate hate your family, like you go around beating your wife and <laughs> your kids. He meant you had to love righteousness even more than your family. You had to put righteousness ahead of your personal happiness, above the happiness of your wife and the happiness of your children and the comfort that comes with that. You had to put righteousness first. You have to do that. If you're a follower of Christ. You don't have a choice. I mean you have a choice. You cannot do that. But then you're not a follower of Christ. If you're not putting righteousness first. Because he, did, he didn't say. Seek the kingdom of God and happiness. He said seek the kingdom of God. And God's righteousness. Which is very important. It's not your righteousness, your self-righteousness, where you get in the Bible and you figure out, oh, we have to believe this, and we have to believe this, and we have to believe this, and I got my checklist, and we got to do this on Saturday, and we got to do this on Sunday, and we got to do this, and I got my checklist, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm this or that, you know, we get labels, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, Jehovah Witness, Catholic, uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, uh, from this synod, not from that synod. <laughs> and it's it's ridiculous. Where's righteousness? I see self-righteousness. When are you going to show me some righteousness? Where you actually care about your neighbor's rights as much as you care about your own. Or where you're willing to lay down your life for somebody else who's having their life taken away unfairly. Instead, you're sending your kids to public school, sending benefactors out to take away from your neighbors so that you can have that free education for free. I mean, you say, well, I don't have it for free. I pay taxes. You don't pay enough for all your kids. You know, that was another thing about education. Education used to cost you, you could send your kids to private school for a hundred bucks. Yeah, hundred bucks, uh, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, actually, I, I can remember tuition of $300 <laughs> and then included room and board <laughs> but actually I can I can remember where it goes back even farther where it was even a lot more uh, I mean you got a lot more for a lot less the 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 difference was even greater 
because I'm an old man. But the reality is, is now education costs six to ten to twenty thousand dollars per student per year. Unbelievable, huge sums of money. Uh, and why? Because they can force you to pay it. So there's no incentive to reduce the cost of education. Which is why when you started creating these student loans, it's supposed to be a great boon to the student, you were you were destined, because of your choices, there would be repercussions. And the repercussion is the cost of education has skyrocketed. It's like the FBI agent who was talking about the incident where uh, Robert Lavoy Finnegan was shot. He says, if you make choices, that there are consequences to those choices. Which sounded to me like a threat, but... Uh, I mean, people can take it any way they want, but the fact is, is that we're making choices. Send your kids to public school. Take the benefit. Have somebody else take care of your parents. You know, um, apply for this benefit. Apply for that benefit. These are choices you make, and there are repercussions for those choices. Now you can make other choices, and there will be repercussions for those choices now. Repentant choices are making choices in the other direction. Instead of looking for benefits from others, even forcing others to provide those benefits, taking a bite out of one another, which we're warned against, lest we be devoured, which is actually what's happened. You have to make the choice to become the benefit to others. Now, some are making the choice not to take the benefit, and they think that sets them free. Boulder Dash. Um, not true. Uh, it is just simply not true. You do not set yourself free by not taking the benefit. You put on the armor of God if you become the benefit to others. You 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 have to understand that difference. Or you don't get it. You have to become like Christ. Christ did not come in pursuit of happiness. (laughs) He didn't even come in pursuit of... Well, actually, He did come in pursuit of property. Uh, But what He came in pursuit of is what was proper. And it was proper that He was King. But he wasn't going to force himself on anybody. So the Pharisees who said we have no king but Caesar, he's okay with that. But those who say we have no king but Jesus Christ, he was also okay with that. And how did they say that? They got baptized. And if you got baptized, you were kicked out of one system and you had to scramble to create another system. But the other system you created, which we see Jesus describing when he says to the apostles, I appoint unto you a kingdom... You are not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. In other words, they had to take care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. This is why Christians were persecuted because they were doing that. They were not demanding their rights. They were not demanding to let us go. It was already established. The Pharisees said anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ where they would no longer eat the flesh of their neighbor and drink the blood of their neighbor in the benefit schemes set up by 
the Pharisees and men like Herod, the Corbin, the social welfare system of Judea that was run now like the social welfare system of Rome through compelled taxes. Rome used to do it through voluntarism. Now they were doing it through compelled taxes through the temples. These Christians were now going to have to provide that by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty. This is what distinguished a Christian Jew from all the other Jews. The Pharisees went the way of force because they they could not receive the doctrine of Jesus Christ that you had to eat my blood and drink or drink my blood and eat my flesh. Which is all he's saying there. Because he was laying his body down. The Passover lamb was him. He's laying his body down. He's sacrificing himself. This is the spirit by which he came. In service to others. So that they might be free. But they can't be free unless they are willing to lay their own flesh and blood down for others. Because that is the that is where you get the Christ blessing. The anointed blessing of God is where you start sacrificing yourself for others. Now, obviously, I don't require that everybody go out and get nails pounded into their wrists and feet. You're going to have to determine what God is putting on your heart. When to give, who to give to, how much to give. You have to decide that. But if you're not giving, you're not following Christ. You're not coming in the name of Christ. Because Christ came to give. Christ was rich. Came from one of the richest families in Judea. His uncle was one of the richest men in the Roman Empire. He gave up his wealth. That you might be free. And that's actually what Isaac was doing. Isaac, or uh, Abraham, could have inherited the kingship of Haran. But he left it. He walked away from it. Moses could have inherited the position of Pharaoh, ruler over the people. But he walked away from it. But he said he came back for the people. Even when Abraham defeated the enemies of Sodom, he was literally the rightful king of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because he was the he was like Octavius who, you know, won the battle and defeated the enemy. So he had the right to spoils. He had the right to take all the stuff. And he said he wouldn't take even a buckle. You see a pattern here throughout. Gideon. He would he would not take the spoils. But if they want to give a gift, they can give a gift. He would take a gift. But he would not take the spoil. Christ would not force Judea to follow him, but those who followed him followed him on Pentecost. And they followed him by creating a system, a network of faith, hope, and charity to take care of all the needy of their society. And in the collapse of the Roman Empire, that was often a pretty big job. But they thrived during that job. And because they were attending to that job, they received the armor of God in spiritual realms that made physical difference. This is, this is the way you have to go. 
So anyway, in the first part of the show, we covered the fact that you were in bondage. Thousands of little strings and contract, constructive and even executed contracts with men who exercised authority, with the fathers of the earth, with the benefactors who exercised authority, have brought you back and entangled you in the elements of the world, the constitutional order and systems of government. And according to the Constitution of the United States and probably many other constitutions, in Article 1, Section 10, in that particular constitution, they're going to guarantee your right to contract. You cannot simply dissolve the bands with a declaration, a piece of paper that you sign and say, I'm out. You owe a debt. You're a surety for a debt. They're warned over and over again in the Bible not to be a surety. If you have stricken hands... You know, and become a surety. Well, you're in trouble. That's what Israel did. They struck hands with Pharaoh and they became a surety for his debt. And that's what put them into bondage. And your parents have done it for you and you have done it for yourself and you're in bondage and you want to be unfriendly with those that you've made these contracts with. You want to abandon your neighbors. You know, if if there's $100,000 in debt, for a group of 100 people, each person owes $1,000, right? This is $1,000. Each one is a surety for $1,000 because there's 100 people and $1,000 worth of debt. Or what did I say? $100,000 worth of debt, $1,000 worth of debt per person. One person leaves. What happens? Everybody else of those hundred people, the other 99, now owe more. Each one owes more. $1,100 or $10, whatever it is. <laughs> I have to do the math. Anyway, it's more. Uh, if 10 people leave, they even owe more. Everybody who leaves, they owe more. And you want to just leave. That's evidence to me that written in your heart is not love of neighbor. I see love of self. I do not see love of neighbor. You're going to abandon them to the debt that you helped create and run off and become a sovereign. And you want the full armor of God? It don't fit you. (laughs) Now, I know some of you didn't think this out. But that's what you're doing. You have need of repentance. Jesus came back that ye might be free. Moses came back that ye might be free. Gideon tried over and over and again to get out of the responsibility that God wanted to put on his shoulder. But he showed up for no pay. You need to be of that spirit. And if I see you not being of that spirit, I know you're not of God, that you, this is one of the things I was talking to you about my grandson. We'll have to cover this in uh, the next show, following right after this. But he, they were watching The Longest Day, and so, you know, I'm filling in little gaps in history. You know, like, uh, you know, because you're you're seeing uh, the different actors, uh, Eddie Albert and uh, uh, Mitchum, uh, 
playing these different parts on the beach and they're they're deciding how to go inland and how to do this and we got to do this and then they flash back to somebody talking about Ike and everything. Well, I was telling them what was really going on behind the scenes <laughs> because Ike was already uh, had given the order to start plans for evacuation that, that that was a wash. They thought that was a failure. Too many people were dying. They were trapped on the beach and he was going to evacuate Omaha Beach. And uh, suddenly they broke through and they didn't have to follow through. And they just don't tell people that part. <laughs> you might not get elected president if you put that. <laughs> but anyway, I'm filling in those gaps for the kids. And But then I finally told them, I says, what you really need if you go into battle is the Holy Spirit. And they asked the question. You want to know what question they asked? Well, join me next on Keys of the Kingdom. <laughs> and I'll tell you what the question was. We'll be right back. have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. back to keys of the kingdom so we're talking about this full armor of god and of course that full armor of god is you know when you used to put on armor in the old days um you you couldn't do it yourself you couldn't just kind of put on your own armor you had all these buckles in the back and uh, and had to be you know it was heavy and so you had armor bearers who would help you put on your armor they, you needed this extra help to help you put on this armor. 
you know, kind of make sure everything is tucked in. <laughs> and uh, that that uh, was a team effort to put on that armor. And uh, so anyway, that's that's what this uh, putting on the full armor of God is going to involve too, is this kind of team effort on the part of multiple people to put each other's armor on. And, which is why Christ sent them out two by two. Why why the kingdom of heaven, even though it's from generation to generation, which is from family to family to family, it always requires this team effort. You know, you had all these people that joined with Abraham to defeat this army in one day because they had this team effort. And something created that team spirit back in peacetime so that when wartime came, they were ready to go. And this was what they referred to in uh, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire when they referred to the early Christian Republic. Uh, we're talking prior Constantine. It was the union and discipline of that early Christian Republic that they were referring to. What, what union? Uh, what, what discipline? What, what did that look like? What were they doing? Well, in that union and discipline, they were putting on that full armor of God. Now, that full armor of God, exactly what does that look like? How does that work? Um, I was just actually upgrading a page while I was talking there. Because <laughs> I saw I had something in the wrong place and I fixed it. But anyway, the uh, giving you my full attention now. So that we can get this information across through the... Uh, quantum airways of spiritual awakening. How do we get this full armor of God? What is the process, the procedure? When you're putting on armor, you have to put on certain pieces first because the armor is overlapping. You can't put on certain pieces till you put on other pieces. There's an order to the things and it requires help to do it. So, Using that analogy and that metaphor, we're going to talk about the full armor of God. And we're going to talk about different aspects of that. And one of the aspects of that is the Holy Spirit. You know, we talked about writing upon your heart and upon your mind. And people always think, well, the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this. I feel this in my heart. I feel this in my gut. I feel this, that I should do it this way. How do you know if that's the Holy Spirit? How do you know if that is the Holy Spirit. How do you know if that's the Holy Spirit? And I asked you that in three different ways. So it's an important question because that's the question my grandson asked. He was a, he didn't ask it in those ways. He says, how do you know you're listening to the Holy Spirit? I said, that is a great question. This is a young, young, young boy. And he he knew right away. I said, that's a great question. I haven't told him yet. Because <laughs> it's not... It's not always a simple answer. It kind of depends on who you're talking to. And that's what growing up is all about. That's what your generation needs to find. Your XYZ generation needs to find out how do you know you're listening to the Holy Spirit? Well, your XYZ generation doesn't even know there's a Holy Spirit. <laughs> Most of them. They, and they don't know how. You're, you're, uh, LMNO uh, generations <laughs> don't know how to know 
if they're listening to the Holy Spirit. I mean, they have some idea. I'm talking generationally speaking, massive populations. You know, as as screwed up as the XY generations are, XYZ generations are, still amongst all of them, they're great people. I still believe that in America, the greatest people in the world still live. I'm not saying everybody in America is a part of that. (laughs) Because I also believe that some of the most evil people in the world also live here in America. That's right. And then there's the rest of you. The lukewarm that God vomits forth from his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's most of you, the lukewarm. Because you're not the good and you're not the most wicked. You're just lukewarm. You don't, you go around looking for what feels good. You're not following the Holy Spirit. You're following the feel-good spirit. What makes me happy? What makes me comfortable? What's easy? You know, that's it. you're looking for the easy way to go. Now, I don't want you to look for the hard way to go. I want you to look for the righteous way to go. Aha! Aha! Some lights just went on. So, what does that look like? Well, we talk about it all the time. What the righteous way to go looks like. And that's that's what you need to find is the righteous way to go. Now, are you listening to the Holy Spirit? What what way have you been going? Because in seeing the fruits of what you're doing, we're going to get an idea as to what way you are going. That's right. Now, when I say fruits, what am I talking about? I mean, are you rich? Is that the fruits? You know, I mean, the Bible is full of things that uh, you should be taking into consideration that will help you figure out if you're following the Holy Spirit or not. It has all kinds of information in it. To help you know whether you personally know. I mean, obviously, people use it all the time to know whether other people are good. And that they use uh, these parameters, some of these parameters, to determine that you're bad and you're bad and you're bad. Because, like, you don't meet on the Sabbath. You meet on Sunday. So, you're a bad person. You know, you're not... You're not saved. You don't go to my church. You don't meet on my day. You don't, you don't, you know, I'm, I, I could think of a lot of things, but I'll probably just go down a long list and offend everybody. <laughs> but the reality is, is that's what we're doing. That we're, we're uh, uh, deceiving ourselves with self-righteousness. Dividing ourselves off with self-righteousness. Creating division. Which is what heresy is all about. Heresy is about creating division. That, that's what the word, if you look in the, uh, in the Hebrew for the word uh, heresy. And, or heretic. Which comes from a similar word. Uh, they're talking about what divides us uh, and, and the things that we do, the contentious spirit, dividing the people and, uh, you know, create, creating any kind of 
private interpretation or doctrine uh, by our private interpretation is going to cause and create this uh, division. And, and, you know, I put up a number uh, on contentiousness and uh, fellowship. Uh, you know, what's the real meaning of fellowship? You know, we, we have this idea that, uh, you know, um, uh, fellowship is like everybody meeting and sitting around talking and, you know, having a good jab session, you know, or gab session where we uh, talk about all these different things and and we we really, you know, have good times. Social activity. Fellowship is not social activity. Fellowship, the word fellowship that we're, I mean, the way you define it today, if you want to define the word fellowship today, um, certainly we uh, we see uh, that particular word uh, defined in a particular way. Let's see, what is the definition here? I've got it right here. Um, the word fellowship today is defined friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. So, you know, I want to go to a car rally. Uh, I want to go to a big truck rally. Uh, you know, I want to go down to the shooting range, you know, and uh, or golf. Go play golf. There you go. Uh, you have a common interest in golf, so you go out and play golf with the guys. And, and that's fellowship, right? No, that's not the word that we use as fellowship in the Bible. The word we use in the Bible for fellowship uh is a, a word that means a partaker of communion. Now, there I just used another word, communion. You think communion is you get a little wafer of bread and you stick it on your tongue and then you receive the blood, flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's communion to you. But that wasn't communion in the early church. Communion in the early church was people were starving and you had extra bread, and you brought your extra bread, and you gave them loaves of bread, not a crumb on their tongue. That was the Eucharist of Christ. Because the church was the social welfare of the people, because they were just kicked out of the social welfare system of Herod. So that's communion. It's when you feed the hungry in your community, and when you feed the hungry outside of your congregation... That's the sacrifice of the red heifer, which goes back to what I was talking about just in the last show of this Greek interpretation by 70 scholars translating the Bible. And they used that, but they understood the metaphor. The sacrifice of the red heifer was for an aid, aid outside the camp. It was a sacrifice that had to be consumed outside the camp. It wasn't ashes, burnt ashes of a red cow that was important. It was giving to those people round about you so that they would consider you a blessing and want to help you. It's back to that faith, open charity. You help people inside the camp, inside the community, in hopes that they will help you in time of need. Abraham did the same thing. He didn't just help his people. He helped the other people, helped them set up altars, of social welfare based on free will offerings, personal sacrifice. And because of that, when Abraham is in trouble, they came to Abraham's aid. 
And he let them take spoils of what they, they conquered, but he himself would not take spoils of what, of the army he defeated. He wanted everything, his share, to go back to the people. Well, I'll lay you odds, a hundred to one, that some of those people of Sodom didn't go back to Sodom. They joined the ways of Abraham. They said, I'm having some of that. This liberty thing, this faith, hope, and charity thing, this love for one another thing. You people all live in Sodom where the king forces you to contribute to provide for the welfare of the people. And in a time of affluence, you don't strengthen the poor. You don't strengthen the poor so bad that you change their culture. You weaken them. You weaken their culture. We talk about black culture today. Black culture today in America, if you take all black culture in America, and I know there's a lot of blacks that this doesn't apply to, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna be a racist and put all blacks together in a single group, and you take statistics from that group, 75 to 80% of all children born are born out of wedlock. That's part of the black culture today, based on that statistic. Now, I know that doesn't apply to all blacks because I'm not a racist like st- statisticians are. <laughs> that, but that's, that's the way they gather their statistics. You're black, they count the number of people born out of wedlock. Well, you go back to 1900, and it was like 1.5% of the blacks born out of wedlock. Uh, 3% of you included places like Chicago people that moved to the cities. But in the rural areas, it was only like 1.5%. It was a tiny little percentage of children being born out of wedlock, part of the black culture. That's changed now. That black culture of 1900 is not the same as the black culture in the year 2000. A hundred years, black culture changed. What changed it? You make choices, and there are consequences to those choices. They made choices to follow men like Saul Alinsky. They made choices of following men like FDR, who was a democratic socialist. You know, you know, democratic socialist, you know, like Adolf Hitler, democratic socialist. FDR, democratic socialist. <laughs> Just making a, a little note, historical note there. <laughs> Don't get all worked up. The point is, what what you did was you altered your society by choices your society made as a society. When you decided to go from most of the people in America being educated in private education by private funding, by either tuition or contributions of the uh, alumni, which is the way you used to go to Harvard. Uh, you know, anybody could go to Harvard because the alumni always paid in so that if somebody could keep up their grades and they couldn't afford tuition, they still could get an education. It was in their bylaws. No student loans required. But when you graduated, you could be nagged to death (laughs) as an alumni to keep contributing. Hopefully, they didn't have to nag you to death that you actually chose to. But nagging is legal. You know, freedom of speech. <laughs> they can nag you. But now, they force you. They get the students to take out loans so that when they graduate, they're in debt. Up to their ears. 